So for quite some time, I've been planning on spending New Year's Eve in downtown Seattle with my family. Or at least I was. I'm not really sure what I'm going to do now, exactly. I'm new-ish to the area, having just moved to Seattle from Olympia before Thanksgiving. The Space Needle is just a short drive from my new apartment. I thought it would be really fun to host family and watch the light show this year. I joined a group on Facebook to meet new people. This was back in November. The group was tight-knit and was meant for people that had similar interests. I actually met three really great people on there. One who's been planning to join my family this year at the Needle. However, of course there's a however. I also met some creeps, I guess. At least, I can only imagine that they found me through there. I started receiving direct messages from a guy that I didn't know. And to be frank, his profile looked pretty scammy. I wasn't exactly fooled, but... I wasn't immediately scared, just annoyed at another scammer. But then, I read the messages that followed, and I was a little bit more concerned. Hey Katie, can I talk to you? Katie, you're not ignoring me, are you? Okay, look, Katie, I have to tell you something, it's really important. Please, don't ignore me, or I'll have to show you. Of course, I did ignore them, because I didn't know them. Nothing that any stranger could tell me is going to be that important to my life, right? Well, a couple of days later, I get this message. Katie, I told you it was important, and you still didn't listen to me. Sorry, but I had to prove to you that I could help you. I'm sorry about that. So, so confused by this... I immediately copy and paste everything into a message. I forward it to my best friend in Olympia. She tells me she's going to do some digging on this guy and see what's up. Almost immediately, she tells me not to worry. This is a fake, fake profile. Some quick Google image search thing that my friend does. It proves that his profile picture is taken from the internet. It's not even somebody else's profile. She says that I don't need to worry, that they're literally probably just trying to get me to respond. She says I should change my password, block the person, etc. So I do. And then I move on almost entirely, because it feels like nothing. Until the following night. I'm getting ready for work, and I'm incredibly disturbed when I see a heart is drawn on my mirror in the fog. I can't even bring myself to leave the bathroom. Fully aware, I'm going to be late for work. My cell phone for sure is sitting on my bedside table or by the coffee maker. I truly didn't know in that moment. So I just waited and listened. After several minutes, I decide to make a run for my phone. I choose the bedroom as my destination. Luckily, it's where my phone is. The first thing I do is I call my dad. The second thing I do is I call the police per his instructions. I don't leave my room for over an hour. That's about how long it took for the police to show up. They didn't immediately find the previous messages I told them about troubling. They actually didn't even ask to see the messages. The one cop told me they likely weren't connected. Honestly, they didn't seem to believe me. Maybe one of the officers because she was a female, but... 
the other was rather dismissive. I asked if they could check the whole place, and they did. As they did, I checked my computer, my Facebook. Sure enough, I had a new message from a new person that I'd never met. Another spammy-looking profile. Only this time, it was just two messages. Katie. Followed by a single red heart. I showed the officers, and that's when they asked me to come down to the station, saying I could file a formal complaint. They recommended I bring my laptop. They could make copies of the messages. But also, they could work to track where the messages were coming from. This all took place just before and right after Christmas. It's been one of the worst holidays to date. I was really looking forward to spending time with my family in the city. Now I'm just crippled with anxiety. Checking my phone every five seconds to see if the police have any information. Checking to see if I've gotten any more messages. I don't even want to go to work. Not alone, anyway. Truly. It's awful. I hate this for anyone who's had to go through it. I know it seems extreme, but I've literally been worried someone's going to kill me. Currently, my older brother is staying with me, but even he can't stay forever. He'll be here until the landlord at least agrees to change my locks. There's no surveillance around here, so... Unfortunately, they can't help with IDing anyone. So, I just wait. As for New Year's Eve, I don't know. I may just go back to Olympia, where I don't have a stalker. This was something I experienced while working retail my senior year. It's been over ten years, but it's a pretty memorable story. I was working the register, and it was during that in-between time, after Christmas and before New Year's. Stores are still really busy, but a different kind of busy, where people are less stressed and more in need of your assistance. I'm helping a family with a return. There's a man, an older woman who I assume is grandma, and a child, about five or six. The man and the woman, they seem very somber. The child, well, he looks sort of out of place. He seemed like maybe he was sick, just by the way he looked, a sort of gray color. But though his expression was a meek one, it was a nice expression. He seemed to be happy. The man asked if they could make a quick return. I looked at them and then the child. I said to the man, Sure, no problem. What are we returning today? The man then proceeds to hand me the merchandise. It's one of those angry birds, board games, I guess. It's basically the same idea as the game on your phone, but kids can knock around these plastic birds and wood structures. I don't know, very popular that year though. I hadn't seen a lot of them returned since it seemed to be on every kid's list. I asked the normal questions that one asks during a return. Was there anything wrong with the item? Do you want to exchange for a new one? It's at this time I see the woman walk away, the child following closely behind her. 
They don't leave the store, just wander near the register and then sit near the children's toys. The man answers me saying no to both questions. I ask if they'd like to make an exchange for another toy or just go ahead with the return. The man just stares down. After a moment, I think maybe he's about to start crying. I look out into the crowd, briefly scanning for the woman and the child. At first, I don't see them, but then suddenly, the woman is back. However, this time, she's alone. She takes the man by the shoulder and tells him, It's okay, that he can go sit down now. Grandma proceeds to tell me that they'll just be making a full return today. They, unfortunately, don't have a reason to exchange. I don't know if it's because I was in full work mode or what, but none of this had really clicked with me yet. Instead, I was just sort of feeling bad for the kid. He's gotten this gift, and now he'll walk away with nothing. I just couldn't let that happen. I process the return, and before the woman leaves, I say, Oh, wait. I hand over a lollipop and say, Here, for the little boy. The woman freezes, and she just looks at me, almost horrified. Instantly, I feel I've done something wrong, and I lower the lollipop. She continues to stare over the counter at me before she shakes herself out of it and shakily says, The boy. I search around the store and I can't find the boy to point out. I start to think about the boy, how he looked. It wouldn't be another minute until I really understood what was happening. Confused about why she's so confused, I tell her I'm so sorry. I could have sworn I'd seen her come into the store with a little boy. Her eyes well up in tears, and without hesitating, she tells me that she lost her grandson the week before Christmas. She says they're here, returning his gifts. Suddenly, I'm crying too. So embarrassing, but it's like I couldn't help it. I just felt immediately what this family was feeling, and I felt awful I'd dragged out their experience. But then... The woman grabs my hand with the lollipop still inside and she says, Grape was his favorite, you know. She smiles through her own tears and before she walked away, I found myself blurting out, He's always with you. And then I grabbed my coworker at the register, asking if she could cover for me. I remember I went to the back of the store and I just sort of lost it a little more. Later that night, before the mall was closing, I went to ask security if they wouldn't mind reviewing some footage. Since he can't typically just ask that without reason, I said I needed to see if someone had taken something from the display around 3.18 p.m. Of course, I remembered the time after all that. I can see me. I can see the man, the old woman. But there is no little boy. Not in the beginning when I saw him and nowhere else to be found. I told security thanks, and then I left. It was such a chilling experience. Not scary, I guess, just sort of mind-bending. I never saw a photo of the woman's grandson, but I'm just sure that's who I saw. I have a close friend who's more like a brother than my actual brother's. We're a lot alike and vastly different, yet we fit together very well. 
I'm religious, yet he's agnostic. I'm open to the existence of spirits, but he doesn't believe in that stuff. He's always been skeptical of ghosts, haunted places, karma, mediums, tarot cards, astrology. Well, you get the picture. I, on the other hand, think hauntings could be evil spirits, but I won't go into that too much. My friend and I, we had a long conversation about different things when it comes to this stuff. He doesn't believe in anything that he can't see with his own eyes. And he teases me about different things, like the time I went on a ghost tour, or when I visited the Winchester house in Gettysburg. One day, he came over to meet with me, and he looked very serious, almost distressed. I thought that there had been an accident, and that someone had died. But instead, he proceeded to explain what happened while home alone with his young daughter. His wife had taken their older child shopping. It was getting late, nearly eight o'clock. So he got his daughter ready for bed. No one else was home. Their house was an older rental property, maybe from the 30s. It was small, but it sat on a big lot. And it was very dark. Had a huge tree blocking most of the sunlight. While his daughter was taking a bath, he was laying out her pajamas and getting a towel ready when he saw a woman walking down the hallway. He described her as having long black hair, like his wife, wearing a red top. Assuming it was his wife, he called out to her, but she didn't answer. Confused, he poked his head into the hallway, expecting to see their bedroom light turned on, but it was as dark as the hallway. He called out again, but there was still no response. He went into the bedroom, turned on the light, and he felt a shiver run down his spine, like an irrational fear. Then he hurried back to his daughter and told her to finish up. He kept looking for the woman. The front and the back doors were locked. Outside, his car was the only one in the driveway. His wife definitely hadn't returned. He grabbed a hammer, started searching room to room, but he found nothing. He called his wife, and she was still at Target. So he took his daughter to her room and went around turning off every light. When his wife came home, he pulled her aside and told her about the lady. Like myself, she also believes in ghosts and said, Yeah, I didn't want to tell you, but I know this house is haunted. My friend was so unraveled that he fixed himself a straight bourbon, drank it in one gulp, and then stayed up the entire night, expecting to see that woman again. It was 1998, and my mom had just bought her first home, which, as a single mom, was a huge deal. It was a four-bedroom, one-bath, with a family room and pool. The house was big, had lots of room for my brother and I to play. We were six and eight. Ever since mom was a child, she's been able to see demons. And because of her gift, the church used her to locate spirits. When I was four, she said that I would see them too. But I don't remember. 
She just said that I would react to them. I do feel and hear them, though. When we moved into that house, I felt a tall, dark figure in front of my bedroom door. He never dared come in, but he walked around the kitchen, which was right outside of my room. I never closed my bedroom door because I always felt him there. Because of it, I had to sleep with a nightlight in order to feel safe. If the light went off, I'd become paralyzed and sweat profusely until mom brought a candle. Multiple times, I found the courage to demand he leave, and he did. On some occasions, I was able to sleep. A lot of weird things happened in that house, and mom spoke to her pastor about it. When he came, he said that there was nothing that he could do because the spirits, they were using our home as a bridge, a bridge between the spirit world and our neighbors who were summoning them. So, we just had to learn to live with that. For some months, I felt calm, and for others, I stayed in my room with a feeling of pure dread. That dark figure was there every night, and he only left when I told him to. At 21, I got a new dog. She slept with me and made me feel even safer. When I felt the figure... She'd bark at the door. The first time that she did, I knew I wasn't crazy, that it was never in my head. My dog gave me extra courage to send him away, and he did leave. I slept better than I did as a child. My dog also barked at the same area during the day. At 22, I moved out and I had my first child. Though my mom was awesome enough to let us stay with her for three months while we adjusted to our new life as parents and learned from her. The first night, I slept in mom's room with my son. My partner slept in my room, where there's just a sofa. The next morning, his eyes were filled with pure panic. A noise had awoken him in the night. In the room, the door was open. A tall, dark figure came closer and closer but my partner wasn't able to move or speak I always told him about the figure but he always brushed it off as me being paranoid well that day he learned I wasn't lying years later mom sold the house to a lovely couple with a toddler and a baby on the way but we heard that they sold it again now it's being rented out but no one wants it. I always ask my mom if it's because of the spirits. A lot more has happened in that house. But this was what happened to me. When I was 12, I visited our family ranch in the Mexico countryside for the first time in years. The property's been in our family for centuries. The pictures and paintings of my ancestors hanging throughout the ranch always made me want to get home before dark. All of my cousins were in a separate room, eating and talking. When I went to the bathroom, I noticed a door right next to the bathroom. I assumed it was a bedroom, but I didn't check out of respect for my uncle, the owner. While doing my business, I heard what sounded like an old wooden rocking chair, rocking in the next room. I didn't think much of it, 
and went on to washing my hands, and that's when I heard nails clawing at the bathroom door. I didn't panic right away. I know how my cousins can be, and I thought someone who needed to use the bathroom was just playing a lighthearted prank. But when I opened the door, no one was there. I rushed back to my cousins, and I brushed off the situation without mentioning it. Later that day, my cousins told me some scary stories about the ranch, and they revealed it was haunted. They said an old lady used to live in the room next to the bathroom, and sometimes, when you're near her space, she'll rock in her chair. Back around 1992, I was a sophomore in high school, and unlike most of my friends, I didn't work a typical fast food or retail job. I was great with my hands, and I did things like construction, demolition, flooring, auto mechanics. I started working at 14, so I was always paid under the table. It was beneficial for both sides, since I was only called when needed, and I was willing to work evenings and weekends. One of my employers did remodeling jobs like restaurants, bars, retail shops, commercial projects. Those were the kind that were perfect for me because they could only be worked on after hours and weekends. It wasn't uncommon for one employer to leave me alone with a list of things to do, mostly demolition. I did this while the other crew worked on installation and remodeling. I was a kid, but they respected me because I did what I was supposed to do. And I did it without complaints. I was paid well. I made more in one night than my friends at McDonald's made all week. One day, I got a call about a project for the following Saturday. I was told to bring food, drinks, because there was nothing nearby. I filled a small cooler with Cokes, Gatorade, chips, and a couple sandwiches. Back then, I could eat a whole pizza and burn it off. I didn't have a license yet, so starting that Saturday, my employers picked me up, drove me to the site, and left me there, alone. I rarely worked with other crew members. They were all the skilled labor guys. I was just the demo kid. This part was my major downfall. I didn't pay attention to where we were going. I was too busy talking about cars, and at the time, my goal was to save up enough money to buy an old muscle car and rebuild it. It took a long time to arrive at the site. It was in the middle of nowhere. You may not think California has places like this, but back in the early 90s, there were big plots of land and homes out in the Mojave Desert. We left the highway and went down a few other two-lane roads for a long distance. He asked about my drinks and pulled out a jug of water that he had in his truck. It looked like it had been there a while. But he told me to take it since the water to the house I was working on was shut off. As we pulled up to the property, he was in a hurry to get to another site. So I hurried to help him unload the breaker bars, shovels, pry bar, hammer, broom, trash bins, and the small tool bag. He said that he would pick me up at five or six since there was no electricity at the site either. That was his way of saying that I was only getting paid until then. It was never too outrageous, and we always had a good understanding of those kinds of things. He drove away, and I was left all alone. 
I walked into the mostly empty house, and I began removing what was left of the furniture and appliances, ripping out the floors, gutting the kitchen and bathrooms. Removing the paneling was next. This project was what we now call a flip. They were going to fix it up and sell it. Almost immediately, I got a little bit spooked by the place. It was very odd. Now, remember, I was used to working alone all night, and this was the middle of a sunny Saturday. The house was old, dark, musty, and sort of cool, the kind of cool that gives you goosebumps. To add to the spook factor, let me describe what I remember about the house. Imagine being back in the 60s. There was dark green carpet that looked like matted down broccoli, pine wood with dark stains, old granny curtains, an avocado green sink, and the paneling was actual tongue and groove boards. The old furniture and stuffed animals looked at least 30 years old. The overall style was right out of an old western ranch. There were actual wagon wheels inside and outside the home. I had an old battery-powered radio that only picked up a few stations, but I was just happy for the noise. I started removing all the junk, and as I normally did, when there wasn't a dumpster on site, I made a trash pile. I tore the flooring out next, and to my delight, everything came up with ease. All I had to do was rip, cut, toss. Then... I used a big demo hammer to tear apart the kitchen in less than an hour. I ended up using the big jug of water to periodically wash my hands and face, but by late noon, the desert dryness starts taking the moisture from you. By then, I was down to my last drink and had already eaten everything I brought. No worries, the guys should be here in a couple of hours, right? As the time for them to arrive neared, I finished the last of my tasks. I even swept the entire place so that it could be ready for the rehab crew to start making it look modern. It wasn't a typical hot desert day for that time of year, but as soon as the sun set, it began to cool rapidly. I had on a flannel shirt, but that wasn't enough, and it was starting to get dark. This was before cell phones became common, and the house had no electricity, no water, or phone. I climbed on top of the roof hoping to see something in the distance, and miles down, I saw the road connected to a smaller road. There were a few homes, but they were all dark. My first thought was to hike to the neighbor's house and ask to use the phone, but no one was home, and this home also looked abandoned. The early 90s was the start of a recession, so it wasn't uncommon for a lot of foreclosed homes to be in track of occupied homes. I worked in a lot of those at the time. I started thinking about my options as it grew darker. I could stay at the house until morning, hike a few miles with what water I had left, or wait until morning and start hiking then. I also realized that no one knew where I was except my boss. I don't know if he told anyone else where I was, and my family wouldn't miss me until at least Sunday night. I didn't even tell them that I was going to work there. They knew how much I would work to save up for my car, so they never worried about me not coming home. 
I didn't have a flashlight or any way to make a fire, but the night sky looked amazing and the moon was bright. Of course, that doesn't mean I didn't try. I was going to make a small fire out of construction debris when the temperature hit the low 40s, but that didn't pan out. My only option was to wait inside the empty, creepy house. It seemed even creepier when sitting alone in the dark. At roughly 8 p.m., my radio's batteries start to die. It was my only source of little light and noise. I grabbed a wooden chair, and I sat in the living room, facing the door. I heard wind, odd animal noises, and what sounded like leaves crunching under feet. I started shivering from the cold, so I tried to make a fire in the fireplace. Picture Tom Hanks trying to start a fire in Castaway. At least it was keeping my mind on my situation. Sitting there next to the fireplace made the house seem even darker than it should have. It was already dark in the daytime, but now, even with the moonlight, I was essentially sitting in complete darkness. My mind started to play tricks on me. I saw shadows moving inside and outside. I also heard someone talking or whispering. So I got up from my chair and I yelled, Hello? Hello? The instant I did, something fell on the other side of the house. I ran back outside. At least I could see better in the moonlight. I heard noises and I saw movement in the distance, but I couldn't make anything out of it. I had my tools sitting next to the corner of the house, ready for my boss to return. So I ran to them, grabbed the big daddy. It was the heavy pry bar that I'd used for the demolition. And I was ready to defend myself from who or whatever was out there. I have to keep moving because my shirt wasn't enough to keep me warm. The wind was also picking up. There wasn't a single light around me. I didn't want to risk falling in the dark if I tried to climb back onto the roof. So I got on top of the gate, hoping to see some house or car lights. I immediately thought of the horror stories that people tell about Satanist groups. Strange disappearances, people coming to the Mojave Desert just to bury bodies. Every noise had me on edge, every shadow had my heart pounding. I knew no one was in that house, but I swore I heard noises from inside. I huddled up on the front porch, looking into the living room window, expecting to see someone any moment. So much had already happened by eleven that I knew it was going to be a long night. I didn't know how I was going to make it another six hours until daybreak. The moment light started to appear on the horizon, I planned to take what little water remained and walk east. I knew going east would eventually lead me to a paved road. Closer to midnight, I was wide awake with my eyes fixed on the dirt road, thinking a car would come any minute. I kept turning to look inside each time I heard a new noise. I tried to tell myself that it was just a rat or some other kind of rodent. I saw a shadow move from the kitchen to the hall, and I jumped out of my seat, knowing it was human, not an animal. I started backing my way off the porch towards the debris pile, but I tripped and I fell on the ground. I scrambled back to my feet, but fell again. It was like something pushed me down, and suddenly... There were bright lights coming closer as I laid there. 
I jumped up and saw my boss. He was giving me a what-the-heck-are-you-doing look, but I was just glad to see him. I couldn't even be mad. I asked him what happened, and he apologized, but he thought the other crew was coming to get me. It wasn't until he asked the other crew leader how far along I'd gotten that they realized their mistake. It took him almost two hours to get there from where they were, and he felt terrible enough to pay me for the entire time I was there. He also gave me a Coke from his cooler, and I drank it in one gulp. Once we got back to civilization, we went to a drive through and I ate like I'd never eaten before. On the drive home, I asked about the house and told him how creepy it was. He said he didn't have any information on the home, only what we were supposed to do. After that, I made sure to always have extra batteries, flashlights, and double the amount of liquid. A few years back, I ended up working in a small, privately owned restaurant. It stood out to locals and tourists alike due to their multicultural variety. They served American, Indian, Thai, French, and Middle Eastern foods. The small restaurant was formerly a popular Chinese restaurant and local favorite, but the older man who owned it passed away while still inside. So suffice it to say, the townies didn't take too kindly to the foreign city woman that swooped in to purchase the restaurant right after his death. Not only was my former boss flaky and irresponsible, but she could also come off as quite rude at times. She had a rough go of obtaining the proper permits to renovate the historic building. When you do certain renovations in an old building like that, the local laws require you to update a lot of other things that can be quite costly. That meant it was easier to just use her staff for most of the renovation work. Everything was going fairly smoothly until one overcast, drizzly day. We were all gathered in the dining area for a staff meeting. As we sat quietly, listening to the boss lady, something a little strange happened. The front door suddenly opened halfway and then carefully closed again, as though someone had simply stepped inside. Of course, no one was there. The door was almost entirely glass, so we could have seen if someone was out there. We all looked at one another, confused, but we just blamed it on the draft since the back door was open. Though there was a set of closed kitchen doors in between. The second odd thing that happened to another employee when she was alone one night. She turned the corner past a shelf with some tools on it when an empty cordless drill case went flying past her head. It barely missed her, smashing into the wall instead. She seemed pretty put off by the incident when she told us about it the next day. Following that, random small things would happen occasionally. Sometimes our boss would ask why we didn't come into her office when she saw one of us walk by, but it was always when none of us had been in the area. Besides that, we'd get the occasional strange sound, like a faint voice or a door. There were instances where I'd be cooking in the kitchen, only to walk away for a second, return to find something missing. I'd end up having to measure out and prepare the same ingredients again. If only I had known it was about to get much more terrifying. 
The final thing to happen was the worst paranormal experience I ever had, hands down. But in order to properly explain this part, I need to explain some things about restaurant kitchens. In a typical setup, the cook line is a skinny walking or standing space, typically between the oven, fryers, and cooktop. The prep surfaces and small fridges are on the opposite side, which leaves about three or four feet of walking space for the cooks. Besides that, there's a dishwasher followed by the rest of what you'd expect to find in a kitchen. Fridges, freezers, giant hood fans, and a hot water heater. The reason I'm listing these is because they all make a constant loud background noise. One day, there were three of us working in the kitchen. Me, my boss, and a dishwasher. My boss and I were on the cook line, and the dishwasher was a few feet away. It had been a normal shift until everything suddenly went dead silent. Almost like someone had thrown an invisible soundproof blanket over us. I looked at the other two. They also seemed puzzled. What the hell? I questioned out loud. Why is it so freaking quiet all of a sudden? The dishwasher asked, suspiciously. I don't know. My boss answered nervously before turning to face me. Nora, go make sure the fridges and fans are still running. Maybe the power's out. I ventured ten feet to the cook line, and weirdly enough, I could hear the fans. The dishwasher, water heater, all the appliances were running like normal. I returned to my boss and, with a confused look, said, Everything's working fine. That was just the first creepy part. When I stepped back onto the cook line, all was silent again. Well, Nora, get back to grilling those peppers. My boss snapped, and I got back onto the cook line beside her. After a couple of minutes, I suddenly started to get tunnel vision. I felt really dizzy and nauseous. My boss said to sit out back for a few minutes to get some fresh air. I promptly did. While sitting outside, I saw my boss go into her office, which was kitty corner to the back door. Since the back door was open with only the screen door closed, I was able to hear her phone call. She sounded urgent and shaky as she asked someone to please bring an abalone shell, sage, and some kind of weird oil. Apparently the reason she needed those items was because she felt that something evil walked through her cook line. The shitty part is that I was standing right behind her, only inches away. I waited for her to finish and return to the cook line before going back in, and by then, everything sounded normal again. When I got off about an hour later, I made the 45-minute drive home in just under 30. That night, I tossed and turned, unable to sleep, but the few times I did manage to drift off, I got jolted right back awake because I kept seeing a screaming demon thing right in my face. Here's a story about me questioning my sanity as a new mother. Our first child was born during the fall of 2020 
From the beginning, she was constantly moving. Could hold her head up almost right away, and was always determined to learn something new. One of the first times she rolled over by herself was on our couch with me sitting in front of her. I applauded and cheered while, right next to me, I heard a man cheering too. It was a loud, deep voice with no real words, just joyful gibberish. We were alone. In the spring of 2012, our little family moved into my grandparents' old home in my hometown. We temporarily left our furniture at the old place while renovating a few rooms, and we slept in the huge old bed my grandpa left behind. One night, my boyfriend wanted to finish his work on the dining room floor, so I went to bed with our daughter. I laid her down in the middle of the huge bed, surrounded her with pillows, and quickly went to the bathroom next door. In the middle of brushing my teeth, I heard the deep voice again, only this time he sounded angry, very loud, almost intimidating. I dropped everything and rushed to the bedroom. My daughter was wide awake and had somehow rolled to the edge of the bed. She had never done that before. The situation taught me to expect the unexpected. I arrived just in time to prevent her from falling. I called my boyfriend to ask if he said anything or called out to me, but he didn't. I don't know how to feel. A few months later, on our daughter's first birthday, we had an accident and truly needed to go to the hospital. I won't go into detail, but I thought her head was injured. Thankfully, there was almost no wound. It's like someone put his hand over her head at the perfect moment. I heard him one more time, shortly after the accident. In a calm, clear voice, he said, I am here. I believe he wants nothing but the best for our daughter. My boyfriend has a difficult relationship with his father's side of the family. When I was pregnant, I forced him to send his grandparents a letter informing them. Three months before our daughter was born, his grandfather died of cancer, and no one told us. We found out two days after our child was born. I feel like I might know who her guardian angel is. My name is Janelle, and I'm a 21-year-old French student from France, and the following events took place April 2021. Tired of waiting for true love, I decided to lose my virginity with my best friend, Afterwards, I found a fantastic boyfriend and we got along wonderfully for three months. Then, he threw me away for still being in love with his ex, and yes, I'm still upset about it. Fragile little thing that I am, I made my first suicide attempt, went to the ER, and then landed in a mental hospital. Even with treatment, I was depressed for a few months and I had a strong pension for alcohol. What better way to continue my cycle of self-destruction than with dating apps? A few weeks after being released from the hospital, I matched with new people and forgot all about my dear ex. I always met the men at home because that's what I did on my actual first dates and I didn't know any better. One day, I matched with a guy we'll call Matthew he wasn't very handsome, and he had a few extra pounds, but 
I'm not Beyonce either, so I agreed to meet. We laughed a little and shared common interests, especially smoking weed. I was already planning to smoke some joints before sex. He told me his address. I didn't know if it was real. He also mentioned where he used to work, but he'd just gotten fired. I didn't care if he had a job or not. I didn't want a life with him. I explained that I was recently released from a mental clinic, that I was still fragile and depressed. It was all to make him understand that he couldn't play with me, that I was looking for sex, but also conversation and hugs. I wasn't looking for a one-night stand. He assured me that's what he wanted too, that he was actually quite cuddly. I thought he was perfect. After only a couple of days of talking, we agreed on a mojito party at my house, and he brought some joints. Matthew arrived, and he looked even worse than his photos. He was dirty, he had greasy hair, and his shirt was stained. He was also dressed like a teenager despite being 26. In short, I was far from wetting my panties, but in desperate need of company. I asked him to make some drinks while I chose a movie, and he prepared two mojitos before joining me on the couch. We talked a little, and he wasn't particularly smart or very interesting, so I downed my drink, hoping to liven up the party. Thus began a three-day blackout. According to our dear Matthew, we drank and smoked during the movie and then went to the bedroom. I vaguely remember being naked in bed and him looking down at me before turning to slam the door. My phone was dead, so my alarm clock wasn't ringing. After missing a work appointment, my friends grew worried and called my sister when they couldn't reach me, but her phone also went to voicemail. My friends came to my house, but still didn't get an answer, so they called the fire department. Firemen managed to open the main door, but not the door to my apartment. They knocked while calling my name, and I opened the door, wearing nothing but a blanket, staring at them with incomprehension. They concluded I was hungover, and my friends helped me get dressed. That's when they noticed my body was covered with yellow betadine. I said that I burned my arm the previous day, but there were no signs of any burn, nor do I own Betadine. They took my cat and I to one of their houses since I was practically catonic. I had trouble speaking, or even thinking. The next day, my sister picked me up and I stayed with her for a few days. Everyone was convinced I tried to kill myself. I started to complain about pain in my vulva and excess blood loss so my sister drove me to the hospital. I explained that I may have had unprotected sex while unconscious, and they gave me an AIDS vaccine before taking samples from everywhere. I was advised to file a complaint and redirected to OB emergency care. The next morning, I finally regained consciousness, and my relatives immediately saw that I was a bit more coherent. I had more swabs done, and over the course of a week, I made a series of appointments for blood and urine samples. 
I also filed a complaint with testimony from my friends and sister. In the course of discussing it with others, especially medical staff and police, the term organ trafficking was mentioned more than once. They think that the guy chickened out at the last minute. Despite my complaint, a bed full of betadine, my underwear being torn off, and the blood on my doors, my attacker got away, and I'll never know what really happened or what he really wanted. I would like to point out that I used to drink and smoke in addition to my treatments, but I've never had a three-day blackout. I'm pretty sure he put something in my drink. Anyway, it was nice to talk about it. Thank you. This story happened about two months ago. My parents decided it would be a good idea to allow my younger sister and I to shop for our own clothes. They thought it would be a good experience for us. So we went to the mall. My parents gave us enough money to purchase at least one outfit. After deciding where we would meet up, they gave us a time limit and some advice on which shops to visit. I was fairly apprehensive about the whole thing. I'm a socially awkward, extremely anxious teen, and I was very paranoid of something bad happening. My sister, who's only a few years younger, was excited. She was more competent with social interactions, so I often relied on that ability. We decided to go to H&M since we were most familiar with their clothes. We took our time, ultimately deciding to return later. When we left the store, I accidentally made eye contact with a random guy who was walking off to the right, and I immediately got a really bad feeling about him. I can't really explain it, but my gut was telling me to get out of there. I started pulling my sister in the opposite direction and noticed the guy turning back towards us. I began panicking, and my sister finally noticed what was happening. I told her to keep holding my hand and quickly started walking in random patterns between the different sides of the mall. I wanted to see if he was really following us and if I could lose him. He followed our every move. He had no bags, no walkie-talkie, no phone. He was dressed in dark clothes that obscured his identity quite well. Luckily, we managed to reach the escalator, ran down the steps. By the time he reached it, we were already running into a family store to be around the employees. We didn't see the guy again, and my parents stayed with us for the remainder of the visit. I'm extremely lucky to have noticed before my sister and I were possibly hurt. When I was 18 in the mid-2000s, a guy sat next to me on the train as I was heading back to university. And for the whole journey, he kept talking about things that didn't quite make sense. I felt like I knew him, and he was talking as if I was a long-lost friend. He didn't seem to have any mental health issues. He was intelligent. He seemed to speak about things that connected with me on a deep level. He kept drinking small bottles of whiskey, the kind that you can get on the train. 
and he seemed to be enjoying everything that was happening, like it was all new to him. His confidence was off the charts, not in a player type of way, but as if he was from a slightly more free and socially advanced culture. There was a definite vibe of, he's not from here. The tone of the conversation for the hour-long trip, it was him both teaching me about life and building my confidence up, which I felt was strange given that I had no idea who he was. The whole time I felt a strange sensation that there was some sort of different vibration about him, like he didn't quite fit into his surroundings and all the other people, almost on a molecular level, like there was a bubble around him. It was very odd. For reference, he appeared to be in his late 20s, wore black, had black facial hair and black, not long but not short hair and he had a very healthy vibe about him. Eventually, we arrived at the station, and as I was getting off the train, he put his hand on my shoulder, looked into my eyes with reverie, like I was some kind of holy figure, and he said, You're a great person. And I felt genuine emotion from him that was far too strong for the circumstances. Then he walked away, the wrong way and disappeared into the crowd I looked for him through the people but I couldn't see him at all he just disappeared for years I've wondered if he was some sort of time traveler that came back to give me a message who knows maybe he was has anyone else experienced anything similar or can you shed any light on what this could have been I've heard stories of doppelgangers, glitch in the matrix stories. I've always been fascinated by them. I used to wonder, why don't more people have these experiences? And then one day, I had one of my own. A doppelganger event, or shift in time, reality, whatever it was, it happened to me. A little bit of context first about myself and where I live. I'm a 20-year-old guy, tall, broad shoulders, brown hair. I live in a small English village in the countryside. It's the kind of place where you don't see many new people living there. I've lived there my entire life, and I see the same regular people going about their lives on a regular basis. Anyways, back to the story. I walked from my house just on the edge of the village to the local shop to get some groceries. It was midday, and the weather was quite dull and gloomy. Everything was going normal until I walk back from the shop. I'm walking on the path outside of an old church. I carry on walking down the path ahead of me. But I have the option to cross the street and walk on the other path that leads to the same route that I was going to, just a different way. Anyway, as I think about crossing over... I look into the distance not too far away from me, and on the other side of the path, I see me. This person is the same height and build as me, and they're wearing the same clothes. I was wearing a green wax coat 
in black trousers, and so was the guy ahead of me on the other side of the road. He also had the same brown hairstyle as me. My mind was racing about what could be happening. I then noticed that the guy ahead is carrying the same shopping bag as I am. I am then surprised to see this person that looks just like me and wave at an old woman who was walking the same path as I was, but was ahead of me in the opposite direction. I walked past the old woman, and then I decided to cross the road to follow the other me. But as I'm about to, a black car drives by, blocking my view. I decided not to go the same way as the other me because I had a weird feeling that I shouldn't. As I make the decision not to go the way that the guy that looks like me went, he disappears, just vanished, the moment that I decided not to go that way. I didn't see him disappear. It was like he was never there. But I still had the vivid memory of the event. It was like by suddenly deciding not to go that way, I changed time. I moved quickly ahead to see where he was, but this other me is nowhere to be found. I look in the driveways of people's houses, and he wasn't in any of them. There's nowhere for him to go. My mind was blown. As I walked back, I had the most eerie feeling and got quite creeped out. I think I had a time slip that I was seeing into a possible future, but by changing my mind and not going that way, that never happened, so the other me disappeared. But one thing that I could not figure out was who was the old woman that he was waving at. I don't know her. And I walked past her, but when I walked past her, she didn't seem surprised or shocked that she saw two of me. Who she was is also a mystery. My dad was a truck driver when he left the military in the late 2000s. By the time my siblings and I were born, he only drove in our home state of Texas, and summers were extremely busy for him. This incident happened in 2006, one of his extended trips across Texas. I believe he was driving south on 281. He was getting pretty tired when he pulled into a truck stop. He was making his way to the on-site convenience store when he noticed a young woman pacing in front of the shop. She looked to be in her early 20s, slim, very pretty, and wore a tank top with cut-off shorts normal attire for Texas summers. She was carrying a plate covered with aluminum foil, as if she were making her way home from a family barbecue. Dad finishes his business in the store and headed back to his truck where he was stunned to see the blonde woman sitting in his passenger seat. He was utterly shocked. He had no clue who this woman was or how she got inside. Dad was always vigilant on the road, he never left his truck unlocked. He demanded that she get out. He wasn't afraid yet, but something felt off about the mysterious woman. She sat there, staring at him with the covered plate on her lap, not saying a word. For a moment, he debated simply getting out, walking over to the passenger side, yanking her out of the cab. But he decided against it. I'm still not sure why, 
The whole thing was beyond strange. So Dad, against his better judgment, cranks his rig and drives off, the blonde still in the passenger seat. A few miles later, he attempts to make conversation. I guess he was trying to quell his extreme discomfort. He asked her name, but the woman remained silent. As he continued down the highway, lustful thoughts began to creep into his mind. I'm sure it had been a while since he'd last seen my mother, and they were way out here in the rural Texas roads. Who would find out? Just this one time. What could happen, right? Dad put his hand on her thigh, right above her knee, and the moment he touched her, the woman turned from a gorgeous young woman into a hellish monster. Her face became rugged, her eyes black, her teeth, they grew sharpened into fangs, and her tongue was unnaturally long. The demonic figure let out a guttural hiss, and the plate that she was holding suddenly began to move, as if it were a pile of withering worms beneath the foil. A putrid smell penetrated the truck's cab. Dad quickly turned his face away and managed to stop on the side of the road. As the truck came to a halt, Dad threw open his door and he jumped out. After his breathing returned to normal, he composed himself and looked back at the truck. The demonic woman had vanished. He was alone. He prayed for God to rebuke the evil spirit before eventually getting back into his truck and driving off. The woman never returned, but it took a while for the lingering stench to dissipate. When Dad got home, he recounted everything to Mom. He was so upset that she forgave him for being unfaithful. He'd seen a lot in his life, but nothing had ever frightened him like that. He blamed himself for impure thoughts, and it's possible that's why he attracted the evil spirit. Some might argue that people cheat all the time, but nothing like this happens. I can't explain why. I only know what happened to my dad on the very dark, lonely roads of Texas. When I was older, I asked about his experience, but he would never respond with words. He only just nodded. In 1994, I was 24, and at the ER with a piece of glass lodged in my pinky finger. It had a pretty nasty infection. The doctor removed the glass, irrigated the wound, and sent me home with instructions to return if anything worsened. Home was a 30-minute drive, and within moments of arriving, I began to feel immense pain. I immediately went back to the hospital but by then, the pain was completely unbearable. The veins in my right arm were purple. It felt like someone had used a spade bit to drill a hole in my hand before dousing it in gasoline and striking a match. I collapsed on the ER floor, and the next thing I knew, they were cutting the ring off of my swollen finger and preparing me for surgery. 
doctor asked if I was willing to lose my hand to save my life, and I told him to do whatever was necessary. I later woke up in the ICU with a severe strep infection. I still had my hand, but they cut open my pinky, palm, and wrist to scrape the infection from my nerves and tendons. I stayed in the ICU for two weeks, but my blood counts weren't improving. One night, I had a dream, or a vision, if you will. I woke to a black shadow lifting and dropping the end of my bed, but it disappeared after startling me awake. Terrified, I rang the nurse's bell several times, but when there was no response, I got up to find the nurse's station. The hospital was different. The lights were off in my room, and the door was open. I walked down the dimly lit hallway, and it was nasty. Filth was dripping and oozing down the urine-colored walls. There were a few people roaming around, but they were dead. Slowly shuffling about in their hospital gowns with their IV stands, I ran back to my room and jumped into bed. The black shadow returned and I realized he was neither death or a demon. He didn't have detailed facial or body features, just a black humanoid body surrounded by an aura of darkness. Without making a sound, he violently repeated, lifting the end of the heavy hospital bed and slamming it down, shaking it side to side. Finally, with as much authority as possible, I yelled. In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to go. The room momentarily went black, and there was a sudden bam. A bright white electricity shattered the void to envelop the demon with a crackling vehemence. The creature reacted as if it were being fried by 20,000 volts of pure electricity. And just like that, it was gone. I woke to the welcoming sight of bright lights, a sanitized room, and beeping monitors. When I rang the nurse's bell, they came immediately and checked everything out. The next morning, the doctor said my blood work was great, with a normal white cell count. Which, don't forget, there had been 14 days of no improvement before that. I was released the following day, and I went through vigorous physical therapy to regain full use of my hand. It took 28 years to write this experience, so I'm sharing it here with you. I live near a haunted cemetery where I used to go ghost hunting. Throughout my visits, I noticed it was most active in the spring and during the day. I didn't catch many anomalies, just a few occasional orbs. A friend and I once went on a gloomy, rainy day. It was unusually quiet, and we were instantly surrounded by little black flies, the kind you find around lakes and rivers. We took pictures throughout the cemetery, especially of one grave that featured a man and a woman kissing. We didn't experience anything except for the flies and a lack of bird sounds. When we got back to my friend's house, 
I began looking through the pictures on my cheap straight talk phone. The camera sucked, but it was better than the naked eye. One picture showed something crazy. I still have it, but it's on Facebook, which doled the quality. Before, it clearly showed a winged creature peeking around a gravestone and a large shadow entity by another. The original is still on that old phone, but it doesn't turn on anymore. I returned a few more times and tried different ghost apps, but none of them actually worked. I thought I heard responses on one app, but I couldn't be sure. The next day, while taking a shower, I caught movement from the corner of my eye. It looked like a black hand with long, bony fingers. I turned away and turned back a minute later to see a tall black figure with long arms standing in the corner of my vision. But when I turned to look at it directly, nothing was there. My shirt was on the floor and bunched in a way that gave it almost an inhuman face. It looked like it was laughing at me. After that experience, I stopped going to the cemetery for a while. But that fall, I returned with a different friend and his girlfriend. It was a weird trip. I took a picture of them on a hill, and there was something standing behind them. It had a pale face with a menacing smile, black eyes, a missing nose. I believe the cemetery has a portal, and that the surrounding woods are haunted as well. Many entities seem to pass through the area, but I believe one is serving as a guard, and I think it's a soul collector. The last part of this story pertains to this one entity. In 2019, I returned to the cemetery with my friend from the first trip. I wanted to try a new app called The Portal, and trust me, that app wasn't what it is today. Supposedly, it used to reverse speech, but you couldn't hear words. And if you did, it was a spirit. We began exploring and asking questions. But nothing happened until we came to a certain area, and we heard whispering through the app. It almost sounded like it was answering our questions, but I couldn't make out its words. It stayed with us until we heard a deep, electronic scream then it stopped nothing else afterwards so we returned to my apartment while watching tv i saw a shadow on the wall like it passed in front of the light i thought my friend was moving his arm but i looked down the hallway to see a disfigured humanoid shadow dart out of my room my friend said he felt a weird energy and later, when he was sleeping, I felt uneasy while playing a game. It felt like something was watching me. So I turned towards the window. I saw a black mass with white, glowing eyes staring at me. It suddenly dissipated like smoke. I told my friend the next morning, and he said he had weird dreams about a monster. Curious. I wanted to try the portal app again, but my friend didn't want any part of it. I took it to my room, began asking who was here, 
who the shadow was. I got nothing at first. When I finally did get a response, I asked for a name. In a clear, deep voice, it said, Louie. But immediately after, a robotic, inhumane voice said, Let me in. After I said no, it repeated itself twice more before falling silent. I asked, Who's there? For a few minutes, a woman's voice said, Your house is haunted. Then the robotic voice returned, once again, demanding, Let me in. Let me in. I still said no, but this time, it responded with an angry, electronic roar. I concluded it was mimicking human voices in an attempt to trick me. I stopped messing around with it, and a few days later, I started having bad luck. I lost my job and my apartment, which resulted in moving back to my mother's house. In October 2019, I got a new job, and things began to improve again until the entity made itself known, tried to take my life by causing a wreck. I was driving when I saw something that looked like an extremely tall, skeletal deer walking on two legs. It had crazy horns. Its head was a goat skull. I only saw it for a split second. Then everything went black. I woke up to someone knocking on my window. I had a broken eye socket. Two meniscus tears in my knee, and a bad cut on my head. They said my SUV rolled a quarter of a mile. I didn't mention the cemetery's name because it's a dangerous place. I've never gone back. I truly believe that the entity that's always there is either a soul collector, some kind of portal guardian. I've encountered lesser demons, but... I've never seen anything like this. I have a photo of this entity, but it manipulated the background to form a face. Last night I was finishing up a YouTube video as I got into bed. When it ended, I set my alarm and leaned over to plug in my phone. When I rolled back, I noticed a foggy mass above my body. It was black and partially transparent, but it felt heavy and dense, like a very negative energy mass. I immediately sat up and felt a head rush like I was on drugs. It kept growing stronger multiple different frequencies began to loudly ring in my ears. There were at least three different pitches. And no, it wasn't just my tinnitus. I'm very aware of what those episodes are like. These frequencies were layered over one another. It felt like something was trying to communicate with me. I turned on the light, went to the bathroom, and tried saying, if anything is trying to contact me, I can't hear what you're saying. I feel sick, and this isn't making any sense, so please stop. 
but it didn't stop. I checked the locks on the doors before returning to bed, and once the lights were off again, I felt the same negative energy vacate my room. As I laid there, feeling sick, I began to pray, asking God for help. I repeated, Please do not allow negative energy into this house. For five minutes, as I envisioned a white light cleansing every room as it grew brighter and brighter. After that, the energy completely shifted. The negativity, along with the ringing, was gone, and I didn't feel nauseous anymore. My efforts were paying off, and after a few more minutes, I started to feel warm, positive energy. One last detail. I have the washer and dryer in my room because that's the only hookup spot. Last night, my roommate was doing laundry, so I planned to ask if he was having negative thoughts or feelings at the time. I can't control his energy, but I can explain it to him for the next time. This probably sounds crazy, but I've been having experiences like this my entire life. I'm currently 28, but as a child, I heard voices, I saw shadows, often. As an adult, I've had extremely similar situations to the one I just described. That's how I knew what to do. At a younger age, I would have simply fallen asleep terrified with the negative energy in my room. I lived in Michigan, Tennessee, and Florida over the past ten years. I've had the craziest experiences in Tennessee... Michigan comes in as a close second. But there were almost none in Florida, which is interesting since I lived alone in that instance. Maybe I'm just sensitive to other people's energy. Has anyone ever had a similar experience? Every time I tell my friends or family, they just can't relate. Thanks for taking the time to read this. I hope others with similar situations will find this thread and see that they aren't alone. Some people are simply more sensitive to these occurrences. I heard something in my local bar that will stay with me for a long, long time. There's a regular who loves mountain climbing. He's pretty old now, and I guess he doesn't climb that much anymore. He's always been a pretty quiet man, but one cold winter's night... He suddenly started telling me his story. Do you like the mountains? He asked. I do, I replied. I'm more of a day tripper rather than a climber, I guess, though. You, you don't, don't go, go up, up in the, the mountains when the snow starts to thaw, do you? I said that I didn't. I like snowy mountains, but I haven't ever been climbing when the snow and the ice is slippery... Seems too dangerous. Hmm. Don't ever go when it thaws. He replied. He looked as if he was deep in thought. He said that when he was younger, he and a friend went for a hike when the snow was melting. They planned on staying the night in a lodge. He carefully picked out the right clothes and boots for the trip. The melting snow was going to make the climb harder, and precautions were necessary. You need good eye protection 
and a hat because when the sun rises over you, it can burn and blind you. But since it was still cold and not yet spring, the biting cold can come back in the blink of an eye. The wind is just as harsh out there in the elements. He said that luckily the weather wasn't as bad as he thought it might have been. He and his friend were in good spirits and the pair were making good time with their climb. They saw a group of people up ahead. The group was descending as they were ascending the mountain. When they drew closer, they offered a little greeting their way. There were five of them, and not one of them said a word. They didn't reply or even acknowledge the greeting. Well, they thought that was kind of rude since they literally walked straight past them. He noticed something about the clothing that the group was wearing. Some were dressed for warmer temperatures, and the others were dressed for colder temperatures. Some were wearing t-shirts and shorts, and others were wearing thick winter coats. He spoke with his friend and determined that because it was partly sunny and still cold, the clothing didn't seem that unusual. They carried on climbing until they reached the lodge. They went to check in, and the clerk said to them, Oh great, you know what? You'll have the run of the place to yourselves. There's no other bookings, and there aren't any other climbers today. Pretty lucky, huh? The pair of them stood there, puzzled, because they'd just seen a group of people. They asked, Does that mean that there are no other climbers, and there won't be any other climbers today? Well, yes. According to the owner of this lodge, the mountain's wide open. No one's here except us. The clerk replied. Well, they couldn't get their heads around that because they'd just seen that group of five. They spoke to the owner of the lodge a little later on in the day. They explained to him that they had seen a mixed group of hikers descending the mountain. The owner of the lodge looked visibly shaken by their story. He looked disturbed yet not unfamiliar with the idea. He said that over the course of a year, there had been five fatalities due to either severe weather or injuries. He then said the following. When the snow begins to thaw, that's when the victims make their way back home. So what my friend at the bar thinks he witnessed that day was something paranormal. Those five silent people who seemingly didn't acknowledge him and his friend, dressed in different clothing for different seasons. They could have been apparitions. That story creeped me out, so I wanted to share it. For me, there's always something mysterious about the mountains. This is a very strange and mysterious experience that I still don't have an answer for. It all started one morning when I was on the way to college. I was in a bit of a daze waiting for the traffic light to change so that I could cross the road when suddenly a man appeared next to me and asked, Are you my mom? Well, at the time, I was a 20-year-old college student 
and I didn't have any children. The man looked to me as if he was in his early thirties. Clearly, I wasn't his mom. It didn't make sense. Naturally, I was pretty surprised by his question. With a little laugh, I replied, I think you've got the wrong person. When he heard my answer, he kind of screwed his face up. It was as if he had been given some bad news, or he didn't believe what I had just said. His expression almost said, Why are you lying? I didn't like it. So the second the light turned green, I power walked away from him. Sorry if it's a little rude to say this, but I think he might have not been all there, you know. He could have been a few sandwiches short of a picnic. He was very skinny and wide-eyed. It looked as if he had been wearing the same shirt for days. It was only partially buttoned up. He had a rucksack over one shoulder, too. I'm pretty sure he wasn't homeless, though. Just a little odd. This was my first encounter with him, but I've seen him countless times over the years. He would wait for me every day by the traffic light. Are you my mom? He'd ask. No, I'm not, I'd reply. That's all he ever said. It was creepy, but I didn't feel like I needed to get the police involved. But then he started showing up in other places. He used to come to campus just to look for me. One day, it all got a bit too much for me. I was really stressed out with my studies and so sick of this weird guy following me around and asking that dumb question, so I yelled at him. I think I said something along the lines of, Don't come back again, you creep! I guess said is putting it mildly. I think screamed might be more accurate. After that, I didn't see him again. A year later, I graduated and went back to living at my parents' house while I was looking for work. One night, I got a call from a friend who was still living near my college. She said that she saw my friend, and I knew she meant him. She said that even though a year had passed, he spoke to her and asked about me. Where's my mom gone? He asked. She said he scared her, so she ran away. When she told me that, I didn't pay much attention to it. I just thought, oh, I remember that guy. And not much more. I didn't live there anymore, so I didn't care that much. But when I found a wilted carnation flower on my doorstep that year's Mother's Day, I started to get scared again. I instantly thought, it's him. After speaking about it with my dad, I went to the police. It was getting to be a little too much for me. The police said that there's no specific crime against leaving a flower on a doorstep. Also, I couldn't prove that it was him that had done it, and I wouldn't be able to give the police his name. I knew nothing about the guy. I wasn't happy with the outcome, but I understood it. But I couldn't help but feel anxious after that for a while. Several months went by, and the nights drew in, and the air grew colder. One snowy winter's night, I was taking a walk. I was walking the sidewalks of my city with no real plan in place. It was cold, but 
very scenic. I trotted carefully as there was a lot of ice and snow on the streets. Then, something happened. Something that would change my life forever. I heard the screech of tires. I turned to see a car skidding and colliding with other parked vehicles. I saw a pileup unfold in front of my eyes. I saw the unavoidable. A car came skidding towards me, and it was too late for me to get out of its way. I awoke after an unknown period of time, and I found myself wedged underneath a fallen tree and close to a car on its side. I hurt everywhere, and I couldn't move a muscle. I was likely in shock, too. My back felt as if it were frozen to the floor. I just felt like a dead weight. Pain pulsed through my body to the rhythm of my heartbeat. I felt so hurt and so helpless. Then, the car next to me went up in flames. I struggled against the weight of the tree, but it was no good. I was too hurt and too weak. I felt that it was the end for me. It was a terrifying realization. I heard a voice. I heard it as clear as a bell. Mom! Mom! The voice was calling. I heard that man's voice. Without a thought, I screamed back at him. Help me! I'm here! I'm here! He was covered in blood. It looked like he was involved in the same accident that I was. He heaved the falling tree off of my body and dragged me away from the flaming car. I watched as he dragged me through snow in amazement. I was wrestling internally with the rage of feelings and emotions. I was hurt, shocked, relieved, frightened, you name it. My injuries didn't look half as bad as his. I don't know how he was still moving. Maybe the adrenaline was keeping him going, or maybe it was his desire to rescue me. Who knows? Once we were a decent distance away from the wreckage, he looked at me, smiled, and then asked, Are you my mom? I felt an indescribable feeling in that moment. Words couldn't ever do it justice. Without thought, I heard myself respond. Yes. I nodded slightly, and then I burst into tears. I cried more than I've ever cried in my life. I was positively wailing. I wiped my eyes clean. It took longer than normal because I was hurting. And when I looked up again, he was gone. In what felt like a split second, he was gone. I was alone, lying on the snow, with the strangest feeling deep in my heart. I haven't seen him in years. I don't know what he was, but I don't think he was a ghost or anything paranormal. He was as real as you or I. Sometimes, when it snows, I think about that time and I think about him. Memories of an unknown son. I hope he's doing okay, wherever he is. I am sad I never got to thank him.